The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. to the flagship show of the Restoration Radio Network, the network for the thinking Catholic. And now, your host. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the flagship show of the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great in Westchester, Ohio. Father, thanks for joining us. Always happy to be here, Stephen. Restoration Radio is pleased to present the flagship show of free of charge today in commemoration of our third anniversary as a network, which happened today on the Feast of the Incarnation. Three years ago, it's flown by, and um, we're happy to have all of our listeners with us. On this episode, we are going to be discussing the consecration of a new bishop by His Excellency Bishop Richard Williamson, and the reaction and the implications therein. Um, uh, Father Chicada will be commenting as a as a colleague and and the erstwhile I don't know adversary uh, of of Father then Bishop Williamson. Before we get to any of that though, Father, I have to ask you because it is a first class feast day in the middle of Passion Tide. What are the rules, or should I put away all this chocolate I have in front of me now? <laughs> well, I guess that depends. Um, I would advise you to put away the chocolate, at least for today. Uh, the rules on the first class of feast days and fasting during uh, Lent are uh, basically this, that if you have a holy day of uh, obligation, um, the fast, and if it's Friday, the abstinence is uh, automatically uh, annulled or dispensed for that day. Uh, today is a feast of... Um, uh, Feast of Obligation in the Universal Church. That's how it appeared in the old Code of Canon Law. However, it's not one of the feast days uh, in uh, the United States. Uh, Different countries had different practices when it came to the Holy Days of Obligation that people had. So technically speaking, in the United States, it would not be a day on which you would be uh, uh, excused from the fast uh, and abstinence. However, the church law uh, made a, a provision uh, giving uh, bishops and pastors the power to uh, dispense from fast and abstinence in single cases for uh, a sufficient reason. It didn't even have to be a grave reason. So I remember from before Vatican II, um, we uh, had an altar boy outing to a baseball game on a Friday. And of course, uh, you know that an integral part of going to a baseball game in America, part of our our wonderful culture, is that you part have to eat bread. hot dogs. 
you know that, right. that's that's the rubric so we were we were dispensed from the abstinence for that so uh, if uh, there was a some sort of special occasion or sufficient reason you would be dispensed from the fast or the abstinence and the way that we handle it here is that if one comes to let's say a special uh celebration of uh say St Patrick's Day or uh for the feast of St Joseph uh, we have a lot of uh, special activities that if if you come to honor the saint that way then you can consider yourself dispensed from the uh, uh abstinence so that's kind of the long uh answer so well, i'm not sure how that sh- shakes down in france but i know their well, chocolate fr- in, is very good un- un- yeah unfortunately uh under the 1801 concordat which was the the last agreement signed with the church napoleon suppressed uh, the incarnation as a, as one of the six feast days that he permitted the church to have uh, in his oh, okay. gracious, in his graciousness. So uh, I guess I, thanks to Napoleon, I, I'm going to have no Napoleons today. Uh, so <laughs> unfortunately, I have to put away I have to put away the chocolate, Father. But enough about uh, a glorious feast day of Our Lady, which should be celebrated anyway, regardless of whether we get to partake of chocolate. Okay. Um, and on to the subject at hand, which is your former colleague. And uh, and uh, the person I used to do some work for uh, myself, Bishop Richard Williamson, and his actions. And uh, as a prelude to discussing what's a fait accompli, everybody knows about this. There's even been reactions all over the Internet. I suppose we should, as we often do on many of these programs, set the scene a bit. And I want to talk about the 1988 consecrations, because this is the last time. Uh, well, not the last time, but it was a time when you watched the SSPX go through the drama of obtaining a bishop for quote-unquote extraordinary reasons. So can we just talk about your reactions and and your mindset at the time as someone who had already left the society, I suppose, five years ago at that time and uh, observing everything that was going on? Sure. Well, first of all, we didn't know uh, whether or not it would happen. Uh, the uh, idea of an Episcopal consecration performed by Archbishop Lefebvre was uh, something that obviously was on everyone's minds at a lot of points during the history of the society. I remember when I was a young priest, in fact, uh, having dinner with Archbishop Lefebvre in Oyster Bay, and we were talking about uh, different issues, and that somehow came up. And he uh, laughed and he said that, well, uh, when I'm in the, the, the chapel at the seminary and I have a coughing fit, I can uh, almost hear the prayer go up from the seminarians, oh God, please let him live at least till he ordains me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was something that he was very conscious of himself. And whether or not he would do it was, was an open question uh, because of his um, uh, on-again, off-again negotiations with Rome. So uh, when it uh, finally happened, we were out of the society for several years at that point, uh, observing things on the sidelines. And right up until the uh, the moment that it happened, uh, we weren't sure it would go through. So uh, there's that point. Uh, the next point is the the uh, question of course, is the larger question that uh, if you recognize the um, uh, current occupant, as it were, of the see of of Peter in Rome as a true successor of uh, Peter, uh, what 
you are doing in consecrating a bishop is uh, uh, overthrowing his rights and, and very much violating the law of the church. So uh, you have this this uh, obvious contradiction between this profession of uh, recognition of someone as the Roman pontiff, and then uh, defying, first of all, his, his general law, the law that he had uh, promulgated about Episcopal consecrations, and secondly, his exhortations to you not to do something like this. So that was the... Uh, that was how uh, we saw it. It was this this um, contradiction uh, in action of uh, theoretically what was being professed, the recognition of the Roman pontiff. Well, are you saying that the tents are rented is not a good enough reason to, to call <laughs> off a consecration? Yes, the... the uh, uh, I mean, I know the, Swiss the... Can be, I know the Swiss can be unforgiving, but... Uh, yeah, if you put a deposit down on something, the Swiss won't let you have it back. Uh, what you're alluding to, of course, is is that one uh, that was one of the uh, remarks Archbishop Lefevre made for going ahead with the consecrations. That well, everything had been planned, and and of course the tents had been rented. But as a theological reason, it doesn't uh, doesn't hold water. Interestingly enough, my last discussion with uh, Episcopal consecration with Bishop Williamson happened in December of 2013. I was in uh, I was in London um, for some, some personal business, and he happened to be in London at the time. And I said, you know, we should we should get some tea. I suppose is the proper thing to do in Britain. And uh, we just had a, a bit of a chat, and we talked about some some personal things that I'd asked him about. You know, what he had going on uh, with with different things. But one of the things that did come up was this uh, issue of the consecration of a bishop. And he had gotten a lot of pressure from a lot of different quarters. And we discussed some of the names that had been floating around. And I, I think my only thought that, you know, he had, he had asked for, for some thoughts. And I said, the only thing I really have to say, uh, Your Excellency, is, you know, just make sure that this is someone you can trust because we've had so many bad uh, ordinands uh, and unworthy people over the years. Um, and if you're going to do this, uh, and he alluded to, you know, somebody who might be older, you know, and I kind of pushed back on that. And I said, well, if it's someone your age, that's not really planning for the future. Um, but uh, but he then said, you know, this goes back to the idea of making sure this is a, the right person. But this doesn't address the point that you had that by the canon law that he re- says that he recognizes and by the pope that he says that he recognizes that this is uh, a violation. And I suppose it might do well for us to revisit Father, the fact that papal mandates for Episcopal consecrations are relatively new in the Church, but were enacted by a valid Pope. Uh, yes, the um, uh, there were different ways historically, if you look at the question in the history of canon law, how uh, permissions were granted uh, to uh, install someone as the bishop of the diocese and then to consecrate him. The uh, old code of canon law, 1917 uh, code, uh, prescribed that to consecrate a uh, someone a bishop, uh, a bishop had to have the apostolic mandate, which is a, a letter from the Roman pontiff ordering him to consecrate so-and-so a bishop. The penalty for violating that uh, under the old code was suspension. 
That is to say that the bishop who consecrated uh, someone, uh, the bishop, and the bishop consecrated without a papal mandate were uh, prohibited from exercising uh, holy orders until and unless they were uh, dispensed uh, from that by that suspension by the Roman pontiff. In the uh, 1950s, a number of bishops were consecrated in China by the, um, uh, what was called the the, the, uh, patriotic church. The members of of, uh, the Catholic hierarchy there who decided to cooperate in the setting up of of a uh, stooge uh, hierarchy in the different dioceses of China that would come under the control of the Communist Party, the so-called Patriotic Association. And uh, it was uh, at that point that Pius uh, XII uh, attached to the uh, consecration of a bishop um, without an apostolic mandate and his installation as the bishop of a diocese, which is called canonical provision, he attached uh, to that an excommunication, automatic excommunication. Uh, in um, uh, That was how the law stood until uh, Vatican II. In the Code of Canon Law that uh, was put together by uh, John Paul II and promulgated in uh, 1983, the uh, uh, penalty is no longer uh, suspension, but is actual excommunication. And when that that was um, uh, enacted, we of course referred to that as the Lefevre Canon, uh, <laughs> because we thought it was specifically aimed at him, uh, which indeed uh, it was uh, and uh, continued to be. So, uh, and that is the code of canon law, of course, that the Society of St. Pius X uh, recognizes as, as uh, being in force. So th- that's the canonical background to that issue. Well, wh- and, and I, I was thinking how different the reaction from the SSPX was. I, I'm going to read from a letter uh, dated July the, the 6th, 1988, um, which was the reaction uh, of the decree of excommunication uh, delivered to the bishops uh, and uh, the bishops that were consecrated and the consecrators. Um, and this was signed by people, uh, including uh, Father Schmidberger. Um, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from it. We have never wished to belong to the system which calls itself the conciliar church and defines itself with the Novus Ordo Nisei, an ecumenism which leads to indifferentism and a laicization of all society. Yes, we have no part, nulam partem habemus, with the pantheon of the religions of Assisi, our own excommunication by a decree of your eminence, or of another Roman congregation would only be the irrefutable proof of this. We ask for nothing better than to be declared out of communion with this adulterous spirit which has been blowing in the church for the last 25 years, we ask for nothing better than to be declared outside of this impious communion of the ungodly. Um, I could go on. I don't know that I could uh, continue with a straight face, but um, I suppose this is the the letter, the nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Uh, we don't really care uh, about your little excommunication. And what a marked difference in tone we got from Menzingen uh, this last week, uh, an uh, a even faster response than this one. Um, and I think one that you've had time to read, Father. 
<laughs> yes, that's right. Well, the uh, Benzingen, uh, that is to say the leadership of the Society of St. Pius X, uh, quickly uh, denounced the creation uh, of uh, uh, Bishop Four by Bishop Williamson and said that, well, this simply proves that the uh, adherence of uh, Bishop Williamson and Bishop Four to Rome is something that's purely rhetorical. Which uh, the, the again, Roman authorities and the uh, yes that's right the Roman authorities. So uh, when I read that I I almost laughed out loud because what is their adherence to Rome except or the so-called Roman authorities except something that's that's uh, uh, purely rhetorical. So it is the the uh, case of the the, the pot calling the, the the kettle black here. So the uh, the reaction that they uh, give really contradicts um, what they said in their own past. But would you agree that the reaction uh, is in line with what is expected from them in their rapprochement? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because the um, uh, line in the society has... Uh, it goes back and forth, and fairly consistently over the past couple of years, it's gone toward this idea of uh, an accord, of a rapprochement, as you say, with um, uh, with the uh, Vatican. So uh, naturally, they would get on the bandwagon. In fact, they launched the bandwagon to uh, condemn what Bishop Williamson did, and and what they did was very much appreciated. Father or the Monsignor Pozzo, who is a member of the Ecclesia Dei Commission, the, the Vatican body charged with dealing with traditionalists, or, uh, came out and, and, and praised the statement that the society uh, put out uh, denouncing the consecration. Now, I, I want to hit pause here for a moment, Father, because we're going to go into some other relevant reactions, but you're one of the only people. Uh, who's commenting on this, uh, and that will enter this sort of fray of discussion, who has met both of the gentlemen in question, both of the clerics uh, in question. Can you give us a bit, I mean, obviously, I think we've spoken about Bishop Williamson on the air and on, in different episodes in the past. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, the new bishop in question? Well, Jean-Michel Four is a um he is an older man. He's 10 years older than I am. He's uh, 73. His uh, background is, is, is his family, I think, came from Nigeria, or not, excuse me, Algeria, not Nigeria. <laughs> and he um, had extensive uh, connections in uh, extension, uh, uh, connections in South America and uh, roots in South America as well. He uh, was with me at the seminary at uh, Cone in uh, the 1970s, and he was part of my ordination class. He was ordained in uh, 1977. Uh, he was a, a quiet fellow, uh, quiet and uh, uh, very well-mannered and uh, pleasant when uh, you spoke with him. Uh, he was very much... Um, uh, looked upon uh, favorably by Monsignor Lefevre. Uh, he had, um, in fact, he had the, the, the room across from uh, Monsignor Lefevre in the seminary at, uh, at a cone. And uh, we, the English speakers had a nickname for him that he was the angel of death 
that uh, when uh, since he, he his room was right across from the archbishop's, whenever the archbishop wanted to see a seminarian, he would send Jean Michel Four to come and get you. <laughs> he would knock on your door, and it was never a good. <laughs> experience if you were invited down to see Archbishop Lefebvre. And we used to say that not even blood on your doorpost could save you from the angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he personally was a, a very pleasant guy. He had the reputation of being uh, more of a hardliner. While, while he was a, a very uh, loyal uh, Lefebvreist and Archbishop liner, uh, he, he uh, fit more into the uh, hardline camp. So he might have shared uh, it, a cigarette with you or two. Uh, it, uh, yes, possibly. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, after his his uh, ordination, he did a lot of uh, work in uh, South America because of his his family uh, connections there. I remember Archbishop Lefevre in 1977 sending him into uh, Mexico from Dickinson, Texas, uh, where we were in the process of uh, dedicating a uh, church. And so he had to, um, uh, he couldn't get into Mexico wearing a Roman collar. So uh, he came back and he had to dress himself up in a uh, suit and tie like Father Pro to get across the border to do business down in Mexico. Right. So he had, he was also the rector of the seminary uh, in Lareja. So he was, he was someone whom uh, Lefebvre uh, trusted with uh, with various uh, uh, various errands and uh, various important uh, missions for the Society of Saint Pius X, and he was also one of the uh, uh, initially one of the proposed candidates for consecration in 1988. But the story was that he turned it down. And they got another Spanish speaker instead, the Father de Galareta, to uh, to be consecrated. So uh, he identified himself uh, with the um, little more hardline um, faction of the uh, Society of Saint Pius the Tenth, and. Uh, uh, when the when recently the question of an uh, accord uh, between the society and um, the Vatican came up, uh, he aligned himself with the people who were uh, very much against it. And uh, but his idea was that well, it was really against the idea against the idea of Monsignor Lefebvre to have some sort of a uh, uh, an accord. So that 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 situates. Uh, Father, now now Bishop Four. Now I, we've been talking about the reactions of the SSPX, and and that there are some also reverberations within the the so-called Roman authorities. I think that's a humorous name. Um, yeah. What's your own, uh, Father? Can I ask your own personal reaction? I don't know if you've necessarily been following the movements of Bishop Williamson, but uh, how does this uh, action? Um, sit for you within the context of what's going on with the resistance to the resistance to the resistance and the SSPX and, and all of that? Well, I mean, given um, Bishop Williamson's uh, 
theology and his involvements with resistance, uh, if within that context, of course, it makes an awful lot of sense because uh, you want to uh, carry on a this uh, uh, movement of resistance, and you preach that you are following the real line of uh, Archbishop Lefebvre. And of course, Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated bishops in order to continue the uh, priesthood. So uh, in uh, that context, with with those givens, of course, it uh, makes a great deal of sense. The um, he had a, a uh, I suppose, a limited number of, of uh, candidates that uh, uh, that he could choose from to uh, continue this work, and uh, he he picked one of them to do it. The problem, of course, is is that uh, uh, Bishop Four himself is uh, you know seventy three years old, so uh, that uh, very soon. Uh, the resistance people will have to make a, a decision about selecting someone else to be consecrated. Which just compounds the issue, I suppose. Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so the issue will uh, arise uh, once again fairly soon. With that in mind, it feels more that this was a statement rather than something practical. Well, um, they don't seem to have any seminary program at the present. So uh, in that sense, it is a, uh, it is a statement. However, I will say that, that uh, the resistance people uh, are uh, connected with the uh, different uh, religious order type organizations in uh, France that uh, are forming priests. So naturally, in these environments, there would be a considerable amount of interest in uh, having a bishop consecrated. So uh, I would say from from uh, that point of view, it's not simply making a, a statement that immediately uh, there is some sort of a practical need that Bishop Williamson wanted to meet. Well, also, too, I'm sure that he's maybe tired of having to be the sole person who's requested among the around the world to do this. And it's a practical thing to help him lessen the load, I suppose. Uh, yes. And as as uh, you get older, the uh, there's not much appeal for uh, traveling all over the place. So uh, are you saying traveling all over the place is hard, father? <laughs> I've heard that. I haven't experienced that much myself. <laughs> Um, I, a lot of people don't know uh, this about you. Uh, they might from Francis Watch, all of the, the work that you do, but you're very good at keeping your finger on the pulse of what's coming out uh, from Novus Ordo commentators, from SSPX commentators, uh, other other people. What has been your observance of the other? So we've talked about the SSPX and the follow-on uh, reaction from the Roman authorities. What other reactions have you seen publicly that you think are worth discussing? Well, um, the reaction actually of, of uh, the Vatican uh, to what Bishop Williamson said um, has not been uh, has not been well publicized. In fact, I don't know of anything at this point from the Vatican itself. I think the Apostolic Delegate in uh, Brazil. Uh, said that um, Bishop Williamson and uh, Bishop Four both excommunicated. But uh, beyond that, there's nothing in terms of the um, uh, 
uh, that, that, that seems to be coming down from the Vatican itself at this point, that Father uh, uh, Lombardi is, is, is talking about the Vatican press room. I don't know, maybe that's in uh, context of the uh, this, this uh, Holy Year of Mercy that Francis had just proclaimed. You know, it's, it's hard to talk about uh, excommunications uh, when you've just announced the Holy Year of Mercy, so maybe that has something to do with it. The um, uh, other reactions that uh, one uh, has, has uh, seen, that I've seen, have come more from what I would call the left, uh, the from National Catholic Reporter and um, uh, from some commentators in, in uh, uh, Crook's News Service, saying that, uh, well, this is... Um, uh, uh, this is the proof that uh, the Vatican should have nothing to do with trying to uh, reconcile uh, traditionalists because uh, um, they're always going to do something crazy like this, and you know, especially someone like uh, uh, like Williamson. So the the reaction has uh, been from uh, the left, as far as from uh, what we would call the right of the internet commentariat. Uh, I really haven't seen too much from that. So it's, it's, it's interesting the divergence in the reaction that so far the Vatican has uh, itself has been uh, hands off and has uh, left the work of denouncing it to the apostolic delegate. So it's it's, it's a far different uh, situation from uh, what occurred in 1988. Well, speaking of denunciation, uh, I'm sure there's always a group of people who are ready to denounce Father Chikada and his opinions. And uh, they might say, well, this is all very easy for Father Chikada to say because, uh, you know, he uh, he's ignoring the fact that he works with two bishops who were also consecrated without Episcopal mandate. So how about that? So um, uh, for all the gotcha people out there, Father, can you situate the other the Episcopal consecrations that you're affiliated with, at least by uh, by uh, fellowship or uh, working relationship with, and and how that differs from this situation? Well, it's it's uh, really a, a quite a simple distinction that uh, in the uh, environment in which I work, we do not recognize the. Uh, uh, Vatican II popes as true popes. So what they have to say about Episcopal consecrations or what they forbid either with their statements or with their laws isn't really of any interest to us uh, because uh, we would probably put them in the same category as uh, someone like the Archbishop of, of uh, Canterbury or, you know, the Moderator General of the Church of Scotland. I mean, if these people tell us, well, you can't uh, consecrate bishops or practice the Catholic faith, I mean, the, the uh, letter goes straight into the shredder because we don't recognize uh, them as Catholics. We don't recognize them as, as having any authority. That's the first point. The second point is uh, this, that uh, the uh, necessity, the, 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 the need to consecrate bishops is, uh, in our own situation, uh, something that's, that's a, a matter of duty and that, that's a matter of obligation because the modernist hierarchy destroyed the uh, 
not only the Catholic faith, but also the uh, validity of various sacramental rites, including the uh, right of Episcopal consecration. So uh, those bishops who are validly consecrated have uh, the uh, obligation to provide for the future of the episcopacy and the future of uh, the priesthood in the church, uh, no matter what anyone says. So uh, that's the, uh, the second distinction. In uh, contrast to this, the uh, resistance, uh, so-called resistance, and the Society of St. Pius the tenth recognize the um, occupants of of uh, the Vatican as as uh, uh, truly representing uh, Christ as being true vicars of Christ, successors of Saint Peter. So uh, that has with it the obligation to obey what the successor of St. Peter tells you. Secondly, they also recognize the validity of the post-Vatican II rites of uh, uh, Episcopal consecration. So uh, there are two on on, uh, that heading. They have uh, uh, no right to go ahead and consecrate bishops either. So it's a completely different different, situation for them and for those of us who don't recognize the Vatican II popes as true popes. Well, one of the things we're always looking to do with with stories like this, I remember the last time we, we kind of worked on a timely, quote-unquote, timely issue was uh, uh, when the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate were first getting hammered some time ago, Father. And I, I think whenever people are listening to this and they're, they're confused, they're, they're unsure what to think, about events that are happening, part of the reason we do these episodes. But uh, what we do at the end is I, I always almost ask the same question, which is, if people are confused looking at this, whether they were a supporter of Bishop Williamson or supporter of the resistance, uh, so-called resistance, SSPX, what's the one or two major points of reflection you would ask them to take away from this event and from our episode today? Well, it all goes back to the question of ecclesiology and how one understands the nature of the church and the authority of the Roman pontiff. The um, reason as traditional Catholics, we um, have nothing, try to have nothing to do with the new religion, reject the new religion, is that it's, it's false and uh, evil that it, it, it uh, teaches false doctrines and the consequences of its laws and its, its uh, rights are, are uh, evil. So we have to explain that somehow, uh, how we got to that point. And if you reason it out, the only coherent explanation is that these false teachings and these evil laws and um, sacrilegious rights could not have come from someone who possessed the authority of uh, Jesus Christ. So if you um, reason your way to that, then um, you say that it has to be one way or another. It, it can't be in the middle uh, route. That if you recognize uh, Paul VI and his successors as uh, being uh, true vicars of, of uh, Jesus Christ, uh, you have to submit to them because that's the obligation that uh, the Catholic has. Uh, if you make the judgment 
once you make the judgment, though, that these uh, uh, that what they have have promulgated is evil and what they teach is false, uh, then you have to say that they they cannot uh, represent the authority of uh, Jesus Christ on earth, and. Uh, therefore, there are certain consequences that uh, you have to follow uh, when it comes to the preservation of your faith. So it's, it's, it goes back all the time to the question of ecclesiology, uh, where is the church? I think those are all good points, Father, and uh, I know it's a, it's a first-class feast day. I, I want to let you get back to uh, your, your duties, but I, I did want to ask if you found all the organ donors you needed. <laughs> yes, we did, and you better explain what we mean by organ donors. <laughs> well, uh, this is, of course, uh, if you listen to any of our other episodes on the network, Father has been fundraising. If you don't know, Father is uh, a pretty decent organist himself and um, was euthanizing the old organ, uh, or at least putting it out to retirement, and needed to, to get a ha- uh, handle on a new organ and uh, got a pretty great price on one. And look, it sounds like uh, we've secured that. Uh, indeed, we have. And um, the uh, man who, who found is actually an organ uh, builder himself, electronic organ uh, installer. And he was uh, very impressed having heard uh, one of the videos we did of, of uh, a young man here uh, playing the organ. And eventually this um, organ installer found a, a used electronic organ for us. And we needed about uh, $7,500 to, uh, to install it and to get the uh, equipment that we needed. And we did a little fundraiser, and we we're very pleased to say that we were able to raise that amount of money. So we're very grateful to uh, our benefactors, and uh, we invite all of you to listen into the uh, live webcast of our Holy Saturday Mass, which takes place in the morning of Holy Saturday, and listen for the nice sounds of the uh, uh, trumpets on the organ as we, after the glory is intoned. So what will you be doing with the old organ, Father? Is it is it uh, going out to... Uh... To a nursing home? Uh, no, it's um, at this point it's um, uh, under assisted care in the garage, and <laughs> uh, we're looking for a new home for it, and uh, we're trying to figure out um, uh, exactly what one should ask for a uh, used instrument like this, and it, it still has a um, still has a pretty decent sound. So uh, that's uh, uh, that's a future project. Okay. Well, anything else uh, going on with SG Resources or Work of Human Hands? I, some people have been asking about when Work of Human Hands is coming back. I, I, I'll just take this opportunity to say Father will be obviously back on the air with that soon. But it's uh, not a monthly show uh, this season as it was last season. It's more occasional, and Father has quite a few duties. So uh, that will be coming back soon. But the book is back in print. Indeed it is. Um, uh, we were able to uh, also secure enough donations to get it uh, the second edition of it printed. And um, now it will be, um, it's, it's now available on SGG Resources, and we will be shipping it for the first time to the general public beginning the first uh, week of April. So uh, that's something to look forward to. You don't have to pay 
I think, $1,034 for it on Amazon. But uh, you can get it for $24.95 plus postage from uh, SGG Resources. Although if you want to give us $1,034, we'd be happy to take it. Did you get a whole, you got a whole, and you might throw in an organ at that price, I think. Uh, yeah, you never know. <laughs> Buy one, get an organ free. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I imagine the market prices will adjust significantly once uh, retail copies are available for sale. But uh, I have to say, Father, you should feel pretty good about having a book uh, being sold for $1,000. Um, I think so. And and uh, the, the, the people who have sold it short, though, as they would say in the stock market, are probably going to make a bundle after April 6th. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Father, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to uh, listening to you on Francis Watch later this week. And uh, we're heading into our season break uh, at Restoration Radio. Uh, this year, we're taking season breaks in accord with the liturgical season. So we'll be going down Palm Sunday and we'll be back uh, after Low Sunday. But uh, before the season break, you'll get to hear Father Chicago one more time with his um, partner, partner in uh discussing Francis's uh, uh, actions, I suppose is the kindest word I can say in this uh, quote-unquote year of mercy. Also, I, I suppose a mercy for Father would be for him not to talk so much, uh, Francis not to talk so much, so Father wouldn't have so much that he has to keep track of. But uh, and some, and some people from uh, probably Bishop Williamson and Bishop Ford would probably say that it'd be a great mercy for them for Father Chicada not to talk so much. <laughs> so it's mercy all around. <laughs> I think that's a good place for us to end. Father, thanks so much for your time, and we look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks. God bless you all. We want to remind our listeners that the flagship show of the Restoration Radio Network is our own production. All rights are reserved. Any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions for Father Chikata, uh, about anything we've covered today or anything that you'd like to see covered, again, remember that you can email us anytime. And uh, about this show specifically, you can email flagship at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. 
See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.